Hello and welcome back to Ultra Rare, the podcast. I'm your host, Jocelyn Pearl, and today we have a great episode for you all. I chat with David Lang. He's been involved in experiment.com, which is a crowdfunding platform for scientists. And he's been generally interested in the decentralized science movement, but he's also had a lot of experience, not always good ones, in other communities like the open science movement. So we talk about some of the aspects of DSI that he's excited about, some of the things he's nervous about, and this episode will be a collaboration with his show, Sci Better. I really encourage you to check out his show. We'll link it below. Um, he also does these great uh, recaps on their website. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you. And if you're interested in chatting more, make sure to um, drop us a comment below and subscribe to the show if you've been enjoying our content so far. Thanks so much for listening. I've known David's name in this community, like in the crowdfunding of science community. And, you know, for me, a lot of that funnels into the decentralized science movement. And I think um, your recent article that you wrote on DSI musings, um, there's just so much in there for us to unpack and talk about. Um, and I think you brought up some really valid criticisms as well about the movement. And I think my part of my goal with this podcast and 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 sharing these conversations with people is to really dive into some of the criticisms and and talk about them so that we can optimize and and make things better as a whole so i'm excited to to get into some of that today so thank you for taking the time of course i'm looking forward to it so yeah should we should we start out with like how you what your entry point was into like the crowdfunding of science movement Sure. Yeah, sure. So, um, um, in back in 20, so I have a weird path into all this. I'm not a scientist and I spent a lot of my early twenties managing a sailing school in Berkeley and teach people to sail and leading sailing trips. And, um, one of the cool things about being in the Bay area was, um, and sailing often was I got to meet a bunch of really interesting people. And so I'd always invite like different groups of people out sailing. And one of the groups that I um, ended up kind of befriending was the emerging DIY biology group, which was, you know, Ari Gentry and, and Tito and um, Josh Perfetto, they were, and Matt Cowell and John Cumbers. And all these folks were kicking around ideas around hey, what if the future of biology is there's low cost tools and everyone has access to it? And it was a really exciting time and they were all building labs and containers and their garages. And um, I was just tagging along and helping them start and launch a lot of the Kickstarter projects. So for BioCurious, I was just you know kind of advising them because I had run a Kickstarter project before. And they introduced me to um, this guy, Eric Stackpole, and we started the company. We, we didn't even actually intend to start a company. We started a project called OpenROV. We're building low cost underwater robots. And we put that on Kickstarter. And so we were one of the early tools, Kickstarters um, kind of science. They never officially had a science category, but there was someone, Aurora Thornhill, who was focused on um, kickstarting more science projects. And so that was kind of where it all started for me. And 
you know, that was an interesting time, 2010, 2011, 2012, because the maker movement was blooming. And that was this, all of a sudden, everyone had access to tools and Kickstarter was, you know, going to change the world. And, and really a lot of great projects were getting off the ground. And you mix that with the DIY biology stuff. And then the open science movement was also really compelling at that time. And I remember going to these open science summits and, um, you know, meeting people who were um, in that kind of nascent movement and thinking about what peer review could be. And the, also the citizen science movement at that time seemed really like the, the sky was the limit. You know, there was, you know, all of a sudden we can get everyone to participate in science. So this was the milieu that um, we started our project in and I got really excited. I just fell kind of head over like feet into like this idea that I could actually participate in the scientific process. And a lot has happened in that past decade. And I think a few of the things were like people just kind of sobered up and not like, not like in a bad way, but we got caught up in building a company. And um, that's a lot of work to like run a manufacturing company. And the citizen science people kind of got really pragmatic about like, okay, how do we get the data? And it just kind of got taken over by the, the birders and the astronomers and um, kind of, the open science movement kind of settled into this pragmatism. And I think that's really natural for these kind of movements to be really exciting at the beginning to pull a lot of people in and then kind of just settle into like, okay, what can we actually do here? And so, uh, you know, that was kind of the context for me. Um, and I, I can talk about experiment in a little bit, but um, that was kind of my co the context for my DSI um, musings post was, I've seen a few of these movements before. These like, we're gonna change the world. It's a totally new thing. Um, and I didn't wanna downplay it and write it off because I actually think that that enthusiasm is critical. Like I actually think you do need that kind of, um, kind of collective belief, that kind of um, zeitgeist in order to actually do things. And so, but I've also kind of seen it. So it's hard for me to like get too excited about it because I know that you know, in two years or whatever, in a year or two years, we're gonna be like settling into some kind of pragmatic thing and the kind of enthusiasm is gonna have worn off. So I'm, I tried to kind of set, set up this piece to be a conversation about, okay, we've got this enthusiasm right now. And I kind of don't necessarily think I'm in the DSI movement. I kind of think I'm a peripheral player, um, but I'm really interested in the conversation. And I'm really interested in thinking like, what can we accomplish? Um, what can we actually get done? Because I think it's important. Yeah, I think that was one of my favorite points you made in the article was that, you know, you're a fan of the idealism and there's, that's a real thing. There's energy there. There's something motivating about it, but it's also limited in a sense. And I think, I think that's a good point. You know, um, we're kind of riding this tide right now of, um, unshackled idealism about DSI and um, where it could go and what it could do. And that's not going to last forever, right? Like that's, I think um, something we can kind of learn from, from some of these other movements that you highlighted um, and, you know, what happened when the honeymoon phase was over for open science or citizen science and um, how do we, you know, perhaps maintain some of the idealism uh, while still 
um, moving forward the things that, that matter to the movement. So tell me a little bit, I want to hear your path into this because I know, you know, I've, I've read what I can find and, but I'm really interested in this kind of entrepreneurial bug that you have, you know, working on the crowdfunding for, for life sciences, you know, you've been kind of dabbling in this for a while. So tell me, tell me your path into this, this movement. Yeah. So my, you know, I think like many people when they're in their PhD programs, um, you go through this um, realization of all the flaws of the system. And it's, it's that like trying time of, oh my God, it's so broken. And what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. Um, So I, you know, was going through that. um, And I just felt like there was all this science that I saw happening that like, you know, or could be happening, like um, research on Alzheimer's or cancer, you know, all of these very translational areas. Um, But at the time we knew, you know, NIH funding was really hard to get. It was kind of waning in the sense of, you know, if you calculate for inflation. Um, And so, you know, I would see day in, day out grants that weren't getting funded for research that felt very appropriate and um, valid, right? And so I wanted to start a a marketplace or platform to um, help fund more of that science that is translational that could form, you know, an early stage biotech, for instance. Um, So that was my first endeavor into starting a company that I called Biokick at the time. Hmm. Um, This was back in 2015. And I ended up closing it you know, building a marketplace is really challenging, like onboarding investors and scientists at the time was a lot to take on while trying to finish my PhD. Um, but it taught me a lot about the space. And I did get a chance to connect with folks from platforms like experiment.com at the time. Mm-hmm. There was another um, platform, uh, Diabetes Research Connection. So there were people that were exploring this idea of crowdfunding science Um, and especially, you know, research that could fit into particular um, disease spaces Mm -hmm. um, that I felt kind of a renewed excitement around um, with regards to DSI in, you know, in the last few months. So um, that was really my entry point. And I, you know, went back to uh, focusing on my PhD and finished my PhD and, um, you know, took it as as a learning lesson. but happy to kind of be back to working on the idea of um, decentralized platforms for financing research in early stage companies, um, democratized resources for scientists and founders, and um, you know all of the little pieces that come together to to make that type of research a reality. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So. You know, the interesting thing about your story and, and my story, and I think kind of something we have in common is we've both tried to do this in the real world. And it's interesting when you actually manage a crowdfunding campaign or you manage a platform and you're trying to get this stuff going, there's this really, there's this amazing disconnect between what people say they want and then what they're actually willing to do and pay for and like actually like the 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 like cognitive dissonance between um, some idealized version of what could be and then what 
is actually realistic to implement. And I, I like really encourage folks to, um, to prototype this stuff in the field, to launch a, launch a campaign or to launch an NFT. Um, because for me, like the best education that I've gotten in this stuff is like when I've had to actually bump into the real world. And I think, you know, because you built that platform, I mean, you know how hard it actually is to do this stuff. Yeah. Um, what would you, so, you know, it's interesting. What were your, what were some of your lessons from, what were the biggest takeaways from, from the platform days? I think, um, you know, I think part of it for me was, um, and, and I don't know if you feel this way with some of the projects you've worked on, but it felt a little bit ahead of its time. Like mm -hmm. I didn't have, I didn't have the resources that I feel like if I went to go start Biokick today, I feel like the, the success you know, metric would be quite different um, mm -hmm. than it was for me at the time. And that, that has to do with a lot of different factors. Um, but, you know, I think we know this inherently, we know that there are people out there, there's an abundance of capital. Um, for startups, like for, for starting companies. For, for, for startups, but also there's a lot of people who want to do good with their money so mm -hmm. one of the you know arguments for Biokick was like, I knew that there were investors out there who had a personal connection to disease. Like mm -hmm. I knew that there were people who had, you know, um, Huntington's disease in their family or a particular disorder that ran in their family, and they cared about financing the research that was it was going to take to advance new therapies. But the current system that they had to apply that desire to was typically very black box philanthropy efforts, you know, that you kind of put your money in and you never really see the outcome or it might take mm -hmm. decades mm -hmm. if ever. Right. Um, so I knew that there was like this missing link between investors and their capital and their desires and research that could you know, effectively help them um, feel like they were making progress. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, building that <laughs> requires yeah. a lot. Uh, and I certainly didn't have, you know, I didn't have a tech background to build out um, the kind of web platform that I wanted and, um, and all of that. And, and ultimately, I just didn't have the, the right pieces to, to put it mm -hmm. together. And, you know, I'm curious, with your involvement with experiment.com, like how, how have things changed like from the platform perspective? Cause you, mm -hmm. you know, the website, I have the numbers somewhere but you now raised over nine, $9 million. For almost 10, I think we're gonna pass 10 million. Almost 10 million, 10 next, million like, like congrats. And That's a lot, right? That's finance cool. like, you know, hundreds of projects, I think over a thousand, um, you know, have things changed from your in your perspective from like how you went about financing the early projects to today yeah sure okay let me t i'm going to tell you the story okay so um and this is going to require a little bit more background so i 
when we were building open ROV, I had this idea like, wow, we have all the, we're giving these tools out to folks. We need a way for them to tell their stories. We started this website called Open Explorer, which was, we called it a digital field journal. And we try to get scientists to post and you know, talk about their field work and whatever. And we ended up selling that project to National Geographic, but we did this interesting thing in the meantime, which was we, we ran this initiative called the Sea Initiative, where we had all these philanthropists underwrite um, these the tools, the, the robots, and we had people apply from all walks of life, like uh, conservation groups, scientists, early career folks, citizen scientists, who had ideas of what they would do with the tool, and then just document it and we'll send them one. So um, I realized pretty quickly, like the, the platform idea was okay, but the interesting thing about applying the platform, platform like techniques to augment um, like philanthropic endeavors was a really rich, vast, untapped territory to me. And so we sold this National Geographic and National Geographic has been kind of continuing, not, not really continuing, they're kind of, it's there. I'm not working on it anymore. But that in the back of my mind was like, there's so much to do there. And so when I kind of had the opportunity to, to step back from the day-to-day at SOFAR, um, I was like, I want to go back and do that. And in the meantime, Cindy uh, had Cindy and Denny had called me and said, you know, we're trying to think about the future of experiment. We're onto another project. You know, what do you, what do you think we should do? And I and I was like, and I've been telling them for years and years and years that like this should be a nonprofit. Like this should be something that like helps foundations do more. And because foundations and uh, even government agencies have this weird problem. And you can stop me if I'm talking too much. I just want to tell you the whole story. Um, oh, this is great. I, and I want to understand that piece a little bit better too, like how you help the nonprofit do more. Because I'm guessing we're going to get into storytelling a little bit and that kind of layer yeah. of communicating so, what the science is about. So there's these, there, in, in foundations have this pro, this weird problem where it's, actually kind of, it's hard for them to give small amounts out to lots of people because their program officers can only manage so many grants. Like they have to go through legal review and they have to like, they just take time and it's just, you can only manage so much. So um, the small amounts out to lots of people is a real administrative nightmare. And what I've seen, and I specifically saw this with Donors Choose. So Charles Best, the, the founder and CEO of Donors Choose, makes an incredible presentation and pitch to philanthropists. He says, you can fund every high school teacher in your state who has an open project on Donors Choose if, you know, for X number of dollars. It's it. And he's gotten, he's run this thing called Best, Best School Day. And he's raised millions and millions of dollars to go into like lots and lots and lots of schools and lots of teachers. And so I thought we could take his model and I've been calling it platform philanthropy and apply that to science. And it's been, okay, and then I'll tell you all the things we've learned in the past year that we've been running experiments. Um, but the, I think, you know, I'd love to hear your experience with this too, but one of the things I hear is like, oh, small amounts, like $5,000, $10,000, like, does that really matter? And my answer to folks is it really does matter. I mean, we got started with a $5,000 grant for building our underwater robot. And, you know, the things I hear from experiment users um, is that this is like make or break for their, their career, right? Like this helped them get 
you know, enough data so they could, you know, finish their thesis or whatever. Like I, I, I know for a fact that this moves the needle. And then when you start talking about researchers who are working outside of kind of like the United States or like the, the, the countries where they have like this, this industrialized developed scientific infrastructure, the $5,000 and $10,000 goes even further. And so when we start thinking about what, what science could be in the 21st century, we have to be talking about more than just the United States and like some like Western European countries. We have to be thinking about how do we bring the entire world into the scientific project to be curious question askers, to use information in productive ways, to go out and to inquire about their world and the universe. Um, that's what we have to imagine. And so I think that experiment has an incredible role to play. I maybe I'll, I'll leave it there, but I'm happy to go in specifics of the experience, experiments we've run and, and what I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it is important to, to communicate that, that like these smaller amounts that um, maybe, I, I guess I, I didn't un fully understand either that in many countries, angel investment that's on the smaller side, like in that realm of five to $10,000, um, there, there really isn't a lot of that. Like people kind of don't, a lot of people don't realize that that could have an impact, right? And so they're not putting five or $10,000 towards a given project um, because there's just, there's just not, not that, connection or realization that it can have an impact. Um, and so I think, you know, I think of like AngelList, for instance, where being able to come together and form syndicates and putting in $5,000 checks um, can have, a, you know, have a real impact on the space and, and companies and, and different projects. And I think there's a parallel there to what, you know, Experiment is doing. Totally, totally. And I think, you know, a lot of folks who, you know, kind of, you know, if you think about your, your path and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you go to Berkeley, you're studying at Berkeley and you study at UW. I mean, these are two of the, some of the best like research institutions in the world, right? So you have all this equipment, you have all of this access to information and like, it, it really does seem like the only way to do science is with all of these kind of, you, you, you need that infrastructure to do science. But I think um, when you're in, when you're outside of that, and this is true for, you know, whether you're in a developing country or whether you're in, you're just an amateur like me. Like I'm trying to teach myself biology and it's like, it's actually the hardest part is like, I can read, you know, the, the textbooks and I can, you know, take edX classes and things like that. But the reality is it's hard for me to like get in and pipette and learn, like get on the bed, get at the bench and actually learn the kind of like tacit, tacit knowledge of, of what it takes to, to actually use biology as a technology. And it's not easy to get access to this stuff. If you're mm -hmm. someone like me, yep. it's, um, you know, maybe you go to a DIY biospace, right? Like we have one here in Seattle, sound bio, but they've been closed for most of the pandemic. Um, so it's tough, you know, it's not, it's not an easy proposition. And I think by boxing so many people out, we're actually limiting um, the potential serendipity of what, um, what could, because there's really smart people who aren't 
you know, molecular biologists who, you know, whether they're, you know, computer scientists or they're physicists or they're doing something different that they could be making interesting contributions to the field if it was easier for them to pick these, these kind of skills up and uh, as kind of amateurs or, or weekend project doers. But um, for now um, in biology, that, that is, still a rare, is still a rare thing, unfortunately. Yeah, I think one thing, again, that is, is hard for me to, um, you know, like, I, sorry, I'm, I'm not phrasing this properly, but one of the things I struggle with is the truly centralized nature of our scientific institutions, like you pointed mm -hmm. out with Berkeley and UW, and, you know, the academic institution in general. And it goes beyond just that, um, like even biotech is highly centralized. Um, I make an argument that it, it, it rivals banking in that um, there are specific cities in the United States that you can do biotech research in. And those are often positioned near the universities that they get the IP from and they get the resources from a funding, you know, financing perspective from. Um, and then, you know, they have, certain talent pools associated with that. Um, and I think one of the things I've been asking, you know, for a long time, but feels even more pressing now is why should that continue to be the primary model? You know, why can't science from the get-go from like a way of thinking about things all the way through training and um, doing the science um, be more decentralized. And that's like part of my draw into this space of decentralized science is like, I don't like, I think that there can be a diversity of models for entry points into the space and how the science is done that, um, you know, might not even rely entirely on having physical lab space, which we certainly We'll still need that, but um, can we build tools to allow for more people to run experiments and, mm -hmm. um, you know, utilize CROs or contract research organizations mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. collaborate, you know, with others in the space? And um, I guess for me, like, it comes down to you know, primarily drug development and identifying new cures for diseases. Again, that's kind of like my, um, you know, my passion and, and, and focus in the space. Um, but I think it's, it's needed and it, it's kind of, it's trending in that direction. And I'm excited to see more people test these new models out um, because I'm seeing like co companies not have internal lab space any longer, you know, they're relying on, um, cloud infrastructure and, um, you know, mm -hmm. relying on, um, accelerators or shared lab space, um, co-working spaces. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more remote work that's happening. Like teams are working across, uh, different places. So you, you're not, having to only hire people from Boston or from Seattle. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm just excited that potentially there will be a diversity in model for doing the research and, and 
you know, hopefully the drug development. I love it. Can I riff on that for a little bit? Sure. So you said something that I, I deeply believe in this idea of decentralized science, like just saying those two words together without like the kind of what we've assume, come to assume with it for the past six months. That's a really big idea. Like let's actually work on taking this idea of science as being something that's in the ivory tower and that only a few people get to do and they get to tell us what science tells, you know, this kind of priesthood. Let's actually think about what it would mean to really decentralize it. And when, when you start unpacking that and the way that you just framed it, I think is, is really lovely because like there are, run, there are a bunch of really big ideas in there. Like how do we get more people access to the tools? How do we get more communities involved in the process? Not just in the, like, not just as like the public to receive the, the outcomes, but as people who are engaged in the process and, you know, what new, what new kind of facilities will we need? What new tools will we need? What new financing mechanisms will we need? What new dynamics will need to exist in that world? I think is super exciting. And um, that's where I wish the conversation was right now. Because like, I think like, this is kind of what I was trying to write in that piece. Like, I love the enthusiasm, but I'm a little worried that it's like, it's all about like DAOs and NFTs. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I think these are interest, super interesting new like mechanisms that we have like levers to pull. Yeah. But first let's imagine like what this future could be like. Mm -hmm. And then, and that's what I think like I, the lab DAO one is, I think, I don't, I haven't talked to folks in that yet, but I've been watching it. And I, what I love about it is it's so ambitious, right? Like it's almost like too ambitious, but also like at least, it, at least it's imagining like a radically different future. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one of the things that I, I wish I, there was more of was more bridge building. Yeah. Like, so there's the, the, the open hardware for science community, like these people who are really committed and they've been committed for 10 years to building low cost equipment for scientific research. And we've been on the periphery of that community building robots. Um, I don't even know if they know about DSI. Like, I just don't see bridges between this, the DSI community and that community or um, the DIY bio community, who's, you know, like the, the community biology community, which is growing by like in really impressive ways. Um, um, I, I just think there's, a, there's an opportunity to build a bigger tent. Mm -hmm. And this almost happened with the open science movement 10 years ago. I was at some of these conferences where the citizen science movement and the open science and, you know, people who are working on, uh, you know, reimagining peer review and were mm -hmm. in the same building as the tool makers. And it was like this missed opportunity to really build this big tent. And um, why do you think it didn't happen? I think everybody, you know, scientists, and this is what, like, this is might be controversial. So people did like, you can, they can rip me on Twitter, but I'm, I'm not a scientist. I didn't grow up through the, the, the academic like system, but the training that scientists get is so focused on my research, my project. I need to get grants from my lab for what, what I'm doing is the most important thing that um, 
it's very unnatural for them to be mutually supportive. It's a really, they are trained from the earliest, from the jump to just get theirs, to get their publications and to do their thing and to compete and get to the top of the pyramid and get tenure, whatever. This idea of mutualism is not, is really discouraged or, or really like filtered out. And um, so, so I'm, so the thing that I'm like interested in now is less like mechanic, a lot of people are like about, focused on incentives and mechanics. I'm really focused on dynamics. And this is one of the mm-hmm. new pro- programs or like the science angel program where we, I'm giving budgets to scientists and saying, you bet on each other, bet on people you know and projects you like and things you think are, are promising. It's wildly unnatural for scientists to be like seeking out each other and figuring out projects to bet on. You know, it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic to introduce to the system because it's so rare. And so that's the thing that I'm thinking about now is less about like incentives and way more about dynamics Mm -hmm. and go ahead. And that, I mean, that also comes down to culture, which I also wanted Mm -hmm. to talk to you about because you, you mentioned that in your piece. And I think, I think what you just pointed out is really, um, you know, about the culture that you're trained in as a scientist. And I had, I had worked in biotech before I went to get my PhD And so, and the company I was at was, um, it was at the time, extremely idealistic. Um, You know, it was made up of a a mix of um, folks who had experience in industry, but also a lot of academics that came from um, protein engineering and bioinformatics. And, um, you know, of course the gene editing space. And we just felt, you felt like when you went in to work, um, we could change the world. Like Mm. we were working on the early gene editing reagents. And, and so there was an incredible team dynamic in that environment that was, you know, all about the, we, and what are we accomplishing together and celebrating each other's wins. And so when I went to my grad program, it was kind of a culture shock when I would go to present to my committee and I would accidentally say, you know, we did this. And, and my committee would be like, no, tell us what you did and use I, and, you know, like which experiment did you run? And, um, it is trained into you. I think in a lot of programs that it's all about the individual contributor and, um, you know, so you, you start to um, remove yourself from like that, that ideal team dynamic where you can get so much more done, right? Like we know this, we know that teams and communities and organizations like can accomplish a lot more than the individual contributor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, you know, well, let me, let me keep, let me keep riffing on that. Cause that's, I think that's an interesting thread. Um, in my opinion, one of the most exciting developments in science over the past 10 years <clears throat> has been this adjacent growth in the startup mentality where people are um, starting companies and okay, you do it, just start something, get going, begin, found a company. Um, and one of the interesting things about that, the startup culture 
is that there's a bunch of angel investors. There's people who bet they're like, their job is to go out to the, the new, new, new and find the next person and put them on and get them going and start them. And um, I think that's a really, really healthy, there's like, you know, Y combinators and all these systems that are designed to just find new people and get them going. And um, I think that's a really healthy development that's happened, but kind of adjacent to science. And I think what we're, and I just interviewed Tony and I, I know you saw that interview. It's like, I think the fact that that kind of mentality is bleeding into science, to me, this is like, the, that's like a really important trend. And I think you're a really great example of someone who I, I think is, um, you know, just think about your career, right? Like you, you, you were in academia, you were, you know, st studying molecular biology, right? Mm-hmm. And now you've got a podcast, you're, you're like, you're reaching, you know, like all these new communities, uh, having these conversations, bringing community together, starting companies, started, you know, using new technologies like DAOs and NFTs to prototype new ways that new ideas can come into the world. Um, to me, that's the prototypical new scientist, right? Like that's where we're going is um, that, it's like, yeah. it, even if like, you know, it's, it's very entrepreneurial and I don't think we have to look too far to see where it's going. Like what happened with musicians, what happened with journalists, what happened with like all these other industries with this kind of dis distributed nature of the web is you got to chart your own path. Yeah. You got to get out there and create lots of things and do lots of things and embed yourself in the network and I think that's where we're going. I don't think it's too confusing. And I, but I do think there are real barriers and the real barriers to me are tools, the kind of the tacit knowledge transfer mm -hmm. um, and this, what you highlighted, this really serious cultural barrier mm -hmm. that's, that still exists in kind of traditional academia. Yeah. Yeah. And, and before we maybe dive into culture a little bit more, because you made this point in your article about um, that science operates best as a gift economy and perhaps the focus on tokenization and incentives within the web 3D side movement um, moves us in the wrong direction. I think that's an interesting point. But I think one of the things I find exciting about some of the DAO communities, the science DAOs like VitaDAO and lab DAO is that, you know, scientists who are really impact driven, who are there to, um, they want to work and learn from other people, um, they get a chance to enter into, into that entrepreneurial realm um, with a very low barrier to entry. You know, you're joining a Discord server and you can now be a part of these different working groups and you're not just um helping with the science you're helping with you know perhaps the deal flow working group in vita dao or the content generation for you know their youtube channel and learning how to communicate out you know the science and and what's happening in the space um so you know they're almost becoming these um new learning hubs as well mm. you know and and people are getting a chance from many different levels. You know, we see T 
teenagers to undergrads to grad students to postgrads um, getting involved. And it's it's just neat to see like that you could form these teams so organically, you know, without needing to put people on the payroll. And there are caveats, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, you know, there's a lot more flexibility, but that comes with its own challenges and, and lack of support in, in certain ways as well. So, um, you know, I don't want to dismiss that either. I think a lot of free work happens. Um, and if you can't live off of, you know, getting USDC or Ethereum or, um, you know, if you don't have a ton of free time, you know, maybe you just don't have access to being a part of some of the, the work that's happening, but yeah, that's um, interesting. Yeah. But so, well, can I ask some questions about that? Because yeah. I, what I'm hearing from you about these, the kind of DAOs, and I have to caveat that like, this is one aspect that I think I'm personally really weak at. And I'll tell you why. Um, like which, what I'm hearing from you describing this kind of, it reminds me of what Neil Gershenfeld, when they started their Fab Lab thing, he called it, um, which was these, these container ships full of tools. He called it, he said this inverse pyramid scheme started to develop where the people would learn how to use a tool and then they'd be so excited that they'd teach other people how to use it. And then those new people would teach the next group how to use the tool. And like, that's how people learned through the new people coming, learning how to do something, getting excited and then teaching the next. And that was actually a really productive way to, um, for a new kind of culture to develop and uh, like a tacit knowledge to, to grow through the system. So that's, that's what I'm hearing from you hap- that is happening on these, um, in these DAOs. And that's really exciting. I think personally, I just have, so, I have like a lot of baggage around this because we ran a Kickstarter project for our open ROV Trident, which was this project. And we brought in, you know, a thousand backers who felt like they owned our project in a way they kind of did. And so I've managed early stage kind of research and development with this, this weight of a lot of people feeling like they have ownership in it and I'm scarred for life. I I think this is like a specific layer of hell that I never would wish on anyone else. It's so, so heavy. So when I see that, I, and I see that kind of dynamic developing, I get really like personally really nervous. Um, and, but, you know, like, but then I also hear stories, like I've talked to, you know, like you, I've talked to people who are, um, families of folks with rare diseases and how could you not how could you not want to support these folks and how could you not want to build tools for those those kinds of communities and like what you what you were talking about are trying to connect the dots between those that enthusiasm and that like passion and and scientific research on the other side is like we have to build those bridges and i do think that the the um the Dow model and what molecules building and some other folks is like, you know, that's a potentially a bridge for doing that. Or like what Ethan Perlstein's doing and Mm -hmm. like they're, they're really building those bridges. And I just think like, I mean, I don't, that's important work. And then that's, that's cool. 
I just, I'm like personally cutting back. I'm like quit discord. I'm trying not to be on Slack. I'm trying to, I'm trying to cut all these things out of my life because I think <laughs> they're bad for my own like thinking. Um, so I'm trying to like balance these two things. Like one hand, I know, I know it's important. I hear from you that it's important. And two is like, I'm personally, I just can't do it. So I have, mm-hmm. that's like my own, I, I might not be the best judge of uh, the value of these kinds of communities and dynamics, but um, from what I'm hearing from you is they are important. So I just wanted to note that. Yeah, that and I think that's completely valid. And, you know, at the end of the day, any of these organizations are groups of people and and people are inherently flawed and mm-hmm. you know there there will be flaws there will be um you know mistakes made and like i was part of a dao that got a lot of uh interest and traction on twitter um it didn't have you know we as the launch team we didn't we weren't like full-time you know committed contributors to the dao Um, the original mission of the DAO, which was to open up access to scientific publishing, very lofty goal, a huge problem that, Mm -hmm. you know, we're kind of continuing to battle. Um, The original kind of direction fractionalized and the community fractionalized and, you know, the launch team dissipated and now it's essentially dead. You know, maybe it'll be um, resurrected one day, but, you know, I think those are important learning lessons too. And that it's something I'm working on an article about that, but Hmm. it's something I want to see more of again, on this line line of criticism. Um, let's learn from the mistakes, you know, even Mm -hmm. from past movements, um, so that we can be better and, Mm -hmm. and try to try to overcome them. And I think that, uh, you know, that experience you had with that community um, is really important, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it will allow you to be cautious about what you enter into next or what you're organizing next and how the community fits into that or, you know, mm-hmm. if they fit into that, you know, maybe you prefer to build in a different setting or, or with um, different ways of organizing people, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, there's the thing that I've become really interested in recently is like amateurs and amateurism, because I think there's kind of a a weight that's off the shoulders when there's like, when there's a collection of people who are gathered for some reason, other than trying to make a lot of money off something. Um, When the, when you just get these small groups who are just there because they're curious or because they want to know how something works and there's a kind of, of a freedom, a mental freedom that's there that I think is really powerful. And it's been really powerful for so many technology movements and like nascent things. And um, so I'm, I'm really interested. That's what I've been most interested in. And I think it's okay. I think that's why I'm like kind of, that's why I'm interested in DSI right now is because there's all of these new tools. I'm, I'm like way less interested in seeing how fast we can grow this and like how big it gets and how quickly and raising money. And I'm not interested in that at all. 
I'm interested in this small group of people because I can reach out to you. I can reach out to Tyler. I can reach out to like, how many people are in this right now? Like 20, 30, 50, a hundred, like legitimately, like really like starting to build things. I still think it's a small community. Like we can make a list of, of the people. Like, let's just have fun right now. Yeah. Let's prototype new things. Let's, let's focus on the interesting ideas rather than like being so focused on growing the growing the like the the scaling it right now because I still think it's nascent like mm-hmm. maybe it's IP NFTs like maybe that's a part of it but I'd be bummed if that was like the only outcome of this oh yeah I, I think that's I, I love what I love what they're doing the molecule team but I, I would be like genuinely bummed if the whole if that was the only interesting thing that came mm-hmm. out of this community like I think about the maker community and it was this big tent and it started because it's like, hey, you're knitting scarves and selling them on Etsy. Well, that's cool because this person is building a 3D printer in their like garage. You should mm-hmm. meet. And you guys share this commonality of agency. Mm-hmm. And they built this really big tent. And so many interesting things came out of that. But the, but the thing that bound them all together was this kind of shared amateurism and not trying to there was a pride in that. And I think that's why um, I'm, I'm curious to know how to like build a bridge to um, like, especially the tool building folks, like the, the, the gosh community or um, folks like that, because I think that's like, that's the, like mixing these groups up Mm-hmm. And bringing that kind of enthusiasm and the capital, like the like the the prototype, like the enthusiasm of the DeSci community with the like tangible, real ch- on the ground challenges that the tool builders are facing, would be an interesting like um, community communities to mix up. So, anyways, yeah. sorry, yeah, that's, that's kind of like a riff. That's definitely something we've seen a couple people from some of those spaces come come into the LabDAO Discord and, um, you know, I hope, I hope there's more of that, you know, um, it, it's, it's just, I think one of the themes that I talk about a lot within the DSI community is collaboration. And that's something I love about it. You see folks collaborating across DAOs and collaborating on different projects. I mean, even this podcast, like, I've been doing a podcast show for a while, but it wasn't until I started doing a show on D-Side that I started doing all these collaborations with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just such a fun environment. And on the kind of innovation side that we've touched on, you know, the conversations I started having with people, it wasn't just like, oh, hey, what are you doing? Or what are you working on? It was like, we were starting to come up with ideas on the fly in every conversation I had. Mm-hmm. And it's having that playground of innovation. I think is, that's so exciting for me. And that's why I'm still, <laughs> still here and still working on this. Um, because I- we're, you know, we're, we, we have the potential to change how science is done, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I, while I appreciate what 
the concept of IP NFTs has done for the space. And I greatly appreciate what Paul and Tyler have built with Molecule and seeding DAOs. You know, I think there's so much more potential um, Mm -hmm. to be explored. And, you know, that's what, like my time, (laughs) that's what I try to focus on. I love that. I love that. And I think a a few things like, um, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's super important. Um, what they've done. And I, when the maker movement started, it was really important that Brie Pettis and MakerBot got held up as like, hey, here are these like heroes, you know, like here's somebody who's done it and is starting a company and is like making this work. And of course they weren't the only group, like the Arduino team was there building stuff and um, Lamore Free was there. And like, there was a bunch of like heroes and I think we need to do that now like with this like make sure like you know, like you're like yourself I think it, like is a good example um of like just saying like I, I think that kind of having people as um role models for new people to get involved is actually really it's actually a really important part of the process so I, I'm not against it I think it's I think it's cool I'm just excited for more people to get involved and bring their like different ideas and what you said before that, and this was actually the first bullet point on my essay is uh, of all the groups I've interviewed around like people with ideas to make science better, which has been a lot now. And I've only posted like half of these interviews. The D side folks have the wildest ideas. Like they're (laughs) actually like imagining new things and like really like dramatically different futures from what exists now. And I think that's cool. Because I think so many people get stuck in like, just what can we do to make this incrementally better? Whereas the, the D side discussions I'm hearing about like, what are like the radically different futures that we could have here? And how do we get there? And um, that to me is, is something that is unique and fun and should not be, I think it should be protected. Like I should, like as long, as long as, we should stay in that, that kind of phase as long as possible, because as soon as you start hardening into like, okay, here's what DSI is. As soon as there's like a strict definition for what it is, I'm out. I'm going to move on to something else. Cause I think it's really fun right now where there's no common definition. Yeah. It really knows what this is. Everyone has their own imagination of what it could be. That's when these, these scenes are very fun. So mm-hmm. um, I hope it, I hope it stays like that for, as long as it can, so we can do as many interesting things as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, that's part of why when I come, come back to the definition of DSI, I always just think about the principles of it, the principles and the ethos of these communities and the people in this space, you know, like yourself, um, that are focused on progress and collaboration and, innovation um, and decentralization, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think when, you know, we as a group of people um, adhere to that, those principles, um, we can really accomplish a lot. And and I I hope move the needle in in real ways, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, I think we share a similar sentiment that again, there's a lot of idealism in the space and a lot of optimism. 
Um, and hopefully, you know, in the coming years, we see real signal and um, real output from what these teams are trying to do. Here, here. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Well, um, okay. Well, I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you have a hard stop at? I at don't, um, but it seems, that seems like a good point to kind of wrap up. So if, sounds good. If, um, do you want to do any like shout outs where people can find you or? Well, you know, people can check out experiment.com. We're running a bunch of weird and interesting new funding programs right now, including one that's awesome with Robert Downey Jr.'s Footprint Coalition. We're funding, we're doing the science angel idea that we wrote about last year and we're actually prototyping it. So we're doing it. It's interesting. Um, it's worth following along. And if you have projects, bring them to experiment. We'd love to support them. And and is science angel on experiment.com? That's just that an essay I wrote on, on science better that like morphed into an actual experiment. Very cool. I love So I'm trying that. to prototype these ideas in essays and then go out and do them in real life. So love it. Um, yeah. I'm like not posting so much on science better, but there's a collection of interviews there of, that I've done that are on YouTube and Twitter that I think there's some interesting stuff there. Um, but you know, whatever I'm trying to, I'm not like a really promoting that as a podcast. I'm, it's more like a, it's more like a, I don't know what it is, like a secret society of <laughs> ideas. So, um, well, we'll be sure to link those. Yeah. Right. I, I, I love what David's done with Sci Better. They go through, um, you know, a number of different people in this space who are interested in evolving how science is done. And um, the recent interview with Tony is great. Tony's uh, another pioneer in the space of mm -hmm. democratizing resources for scientific founders and someone I've been, been following and getting to interact with um, in the last, last few months. So um, highly recommend people check out Sci better and, and the show and, and they oh, also thanks. do you do the transcripts which I love um for people who don't always like listening to shows you can read um some of the points right I just I pull out like what I think are the highlights and I just put them on Twitter as like short clips because I feel like yeah. people are busy I don't expect them to listen to all these things yeah so it's a great resource I love it um and then if people have like points that they disagree with that you can just find me on Twitter or just email me david at experiment.com. And, um, I'm happy to, to talk about why anything I, I, but I, I don't want to be like this thought of as someone who's against the idea. I'm super for the idea. I just have like all this scar tissue from being through <laughs> these things before. No, it's all important learnings that, um, we should, we should keep in mind. And I'm glad we get to share some of that through this show. Me too. Well, let's do it again sometime, maybe in like six months or a year when um, it's an even different, um, even yes. different world and different scenes. Yeah, we can like look back. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What's happened. <laughs> right. Um, cool. But yeah, this was great. Um, thank you so much for your time today. All right. Thanks. That wraps up the latest episode of Ultra Rare, the podcast. If you enjoyed this content, make sure to click subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was a collaboration with Cy Better. Make sure to check out David's show. He also has a great website. 
and uh, check out some of the um, active projects that are seeking funding on experiment.com. That's a crowdfunding platform for science. Um, I'll link some of the other things we talked about in this conversation. David, thank you so much for sharing your insights in this space. I think everyone will learn a lot from your experience. Thanks again for listening to Ultra Rare, the podcast.